Hello, and welcome to my second episode of Cat the Baker. I'm Chef KB. Have you ever watched an episode of Chef's Table or the whole season and just started crying when you hear the classical music? <laughs> well, that's me. And I love watching Chef's Table. The passion of the chef, the struggle, the fresh ingredients, the love of the food, yet trying to figure everything out with the hours you work in a day. This is, I think, how every chef feels, except we don't have the episode of Chef's Table to really convey it. I grew up with the love of food because of my mom. Her family didn't have money, and it was a struggle. As a child, she had to kill rabbits in the yard that her family kept to put food on the table, which, I mean, that's, that's pretty primal right there. Her grandmother always told her, enjoy what you have. Enjoy your money. Don't save it because you never know what's going to happen. Her grandmother lived two world wars, and she always saved her money. But when the wars happened, the government took her money, and she had nothing. And because she saved her money, she didn't have the money to enjoy when she could. Of course, this is coming from a very different perspective, and my mom would always tell me that. She said, enjoy the moment. Enjoy what you have. My mom had a very different mindset versus my dad. My dad was always working and trying to save, which, of course, was the opposite of what my mom thought. You know, so they were always conflicted. But because my mom wanted to enjoy life and enjoy her money, you know, she would buy these delicious foods. And every Friday, we would go shopping, living in England. Friday was shopping day for food. And she told me and my two brothers that we could pick one unhealthy thing. You know, as kids, we always want either candy, sweet or salty. I could pick one thing and I had to make a wise decision. <laughs> Do I want sweet or do I want salty? And it was usually always sweet. I love sweets. <laughs> and yes, I'm a pastry chef. It was this love of food that my mom felt that I thought was normal. You know, I thought it was normal to buy these specialty meats or get these delicious desserts. And my parents were dental technicians. They had their own business in England. So yes, they were working a lot, but because they were dental technicians, they wanted us to go with them to Germany to get our teeth done. I didn't have the best teeth. I would suck on my thumb as a kid and my front teeth would come forward. So I basically had every type of orthodontic. I had braces, I had brackets, I had elastic bands in my mouth, I had a headgear, a retainer, I mean, you name it, I had it all. And my brothers did too, except they weren't as bad as, as me. 
So every time we needed to go visit the orthodontist, we would drive to Germany from England. And of course, my parents being dental technicians, they knew the type of work that the dentist did in England, and they weren't too impressed with it. So we would drive usually overnight from England to Germany. At that time, the Channel Tunnel wasn't yet built. And upon arrival in Germany, it would usually be 6, 7 a.m., and we would stop at a German bakery. This, to me, was always special. Bakeries in Europe, especially Germany, are different than in England. In Germany, to become a baker, you have to have a master in it. You can't just randomly decide, oh, I'm going to open a bakery, which pretty much in the U.S. you can. You don't even have to have experience in the field. You just hire people that do, which puts you at risk as a business owner for those people leaving. But in Germany, you have to have knowledge in the field to be able to open up a bakery or any type of business. Upon arrival in Germany, we would stop at a bakery. My mom just said, you know, order whatever. And <laughs> it was with that that I was raised because I can't step into a cake shop or a bakery and not order less than three things. I don't know, everything just looks so good. And if I don't order three things or more, then I'm not that impressed. For me, I always like to order an assortment. One just isn't enough. And I want to have a different flavor profile and and taste all of them and, and see what's going on. So we were in this bakery in Germany and my mom would order these delicious breads topped with poppy seeds, these streusel cakes, these fresh cakes with cherries and fruit. And it was just heaven for me. And the smell, you know, driving all night in the car, being tired and then waking up to this delicious smell and seeing everything fresh out there and the sugar and and these bakeries were super busy. Before we went to the orthodontist, we'd eat these delicious treats and then we'd have to brush our teeth. Of course, after that we couldn't eat because the orthodontist would change the wires or adjust something and then our teeth would hurt and we couldn't enjoy the food for the rest of the trip. But that was literally the only reason we would drive to Germany is for our teeth. I mean, that sounds crazy, but it was normal. You know, it's like growing up, the things that you do and your family does, it's just normal. It's when you tell other kids in class these things, they're like, uh, that's not normal. <laughs> I guess when I did tell other kids, I never felt normal. Like, part of me always wanted to fit in. But at the same time, you know, you live with your family. It's your family. And that's just how it is. That's how things are done. It was on a trip coming back from Germany to England that I saw this truck filled with pigs I saw the noses sticking out between the boards of the truck. And 
the smoke, like the steam from their breath. It was cold outside and it made me sick to my stomach because I knew where they were going. Just seeing that, you know, when we go to the grocery store and we see meats packaged and vegetables there, most of us, most people don't realize how these vegetables are farmed, how these animals are raised, how they're slaughtered. We just see it there and we buy it. We don't pay attention to where it comes from, how it's raised, and all those minute details. But they're not minute. Those are major details. And mainly we just look at the price. So when I saw this, I was 10 years old and my brothers were like, ooh, yummy, yummy pig. And... I started to cry. I was so upset. And this is the first time that I really saw this. You know, in England, you see a lot of farms, hedges, free roaming sheep and pigs and cows. At least that's how it was when I was raised there. So I saw this truck and I said, I'm not eating meat again. And my brother started to laugh. You know, I'm I'm the youngest, so I was always teased and made fun of, and I think that's why when I'm teased today, it's not really teasing for me, because I was raised being teased by my brothers, and it wasn't always very nice. So that's when I decided to become a vegetarian at age 10, and my brothers didn't think I was serious. They would sneak in meat In my meal, my mom didn't fully agree. You know, I was 10 years old. I mean, I'm a child, but of course, for me, I thought I'm an adult. I can decide what I want to eat or don't want to eat. And, you know, she didn't give me a hard time about it. She said, okay, you cannot eat meat if you continue to eat fish, which isn't much better if you look at the fish industry today. But at the time... It wasn't such a known thing, and it was a bigger issue to not eat protein than to, you know, eat protein. So I thought, okay, fine, I'll I'll eat fish. When you watch comedy, there's always bits about pescatarians, how men don't like to go on dates with women who are pescatarians because fish is the most expensive kind of meat, and (laughs) that was me. But it's okay because... uh, I didn't have any dates, (laughs) but I was a vegetarian for 25 years, and that is the reason I primarily went into pastry, because I didn't want to work in a kitchen and just cut meat all day. Of course, I'm more passionate about dessert and pastries and cakes than I am about culinary and meat. I do cook and I enjoy cooking, but I'm passionate definitely about desserts and I have a sweet tooth and when I see a great cake shop and a bakery, I don't hold back. I don't want to hold back. When I find something, I want it to be good. When I go out to eat, I want it to be delicious. You know, like people I dated they wouldn't want to cook for me because they'd be nervous, you know, that it wouldn't be any good or their insecurities would come up. And it's not like that. You know, I'm 
open. I just want, I want things to be good. And it doesn't matter. It can be super simple as long as you get the flavors right and and the textures and the balance. And okay, it's sounding a bit more complicated, but most of our love for food comes from our childhood. That's why the most desserts that I serve in the U.S. are brownies and bread pudding. I mean, these are not desserts that I was raised with. These are American desserts, and they're so popular because this is what Americans ate primarily as kids. I try to make my desserts less sweet than the average American dessert because in Europe, desserts aren't so sweet That's what's so good about them, because when desserts are not that sweet, you can actually eat more of them. It's, you know, it's the sugar that's overwhelming and overbearing. And for me, it's not about the sugar. Yes, I like sweet, but it doesn't have to be overpowering or too much. You know, then you can't eat as much and you don't want to. Food is psychological. Everything we eat is in our brains You know, when I eat my favorite pastry, I go right back to that bakery in Germany. And my favorite pastry is a poppy seed sweet roll. They're delicious. And that's what I love about German pastries with poppy seed. You grind the poppy seed. You put it in a a spice grinder and the nuttiness and the flavor comes out of the poppy seed and you put a thick layer of it on the pastry and it's the most delicious flavor. And that's the same with everybody. It doesn't matter what country, it just happens to be that traditional pastry that you grew up with. For example, you know, here it's brownie, bread pudding, Pop-Tarts. When I worked in the cafe in Flagstaff, I made European desserts mixed with American desserts and pastries. It was a good mix and it was popular because then Americans try some European things and Europeans that came in tried European things. (laughs) And that's why I love food because you can eat something that you've had 20 plus years ago and it brings you right back to that location. When I worked in Italy, I had to make these fruit tarts and no problem, you know, fruit tarts, everybody knows how to make fruit tarts when you're in pastry. And the fruits I was given were an odd selection. For example, grapes, cantaloupe, melon. And I'm thinking, um, where are your berries? Like... These are not traditional fruit tart things that I knew. You know, the chef just said, it's okay. Just use these. They're ripe and it's going to taste good. Here it's normal. So I'm like, okay, you know, and I cut everything up. I made the pastry cream. I made the sucre dough, which sucre dough is just, it means sugar dough in French. But that is the base dough for fruit tart because it doesn't soak up so fast and it still stays crunchy. So I put on the grapes and the cantaloupe. People were eating it like there was no tomorrow. And I thought, okay, I mean, this is good. I'm glad they're eating it. So I tried it and 
the cantaloupe was the best cantaloupe I'd ever eaten. And I'm not really a cantaloupe fan, but this was like no other cantaloupe I had before. It was juicy. It was ripe. It was perfect. Same with the grapes. And that's when I realized this is what makes food special is when you let it ripen, you buy it locally, you buy it from farmer's markets, or you grow it yourself. And you're in control of the best product. I mean, when you let something ripen to its full extent, that's when you get the vitamins and the flavor is right there. That's why in Italy, everything just tastes so different because it's ripened properly. The food is simple. It's not too much cheese or too many spices. It's fresh, local olive oil, fresh mozzarella or parmigiano, and fresh tomatoes. That's the trick. And it was the same with the desserts that I made. They were fresh, local fruits, super juicy, super ripe. And that was the best fruit tart I ever made. And now every time I make fruit tart, I think of that. Traumatic events in my life. I mean, I've blocked out certain things for sure. But I remember these events based on the desserts I've eaten at those times. For example, when I was seven, my mom was in a serious car accident. It was on the news. The highways were blocked in England. My parents had two cars. One was a business car and one was a family car. The family car was an Audi and it was large. Had she driven the Audi that day, the accident wouldn't have been so bad. The business car was a Volkswagen Polo, a smaller car. I don't know the details of it. I was seven years old, but I do know that a truck lost control and skid into her, drove into her. Her car was fully crushed. She was unconscious when she was found when her car was opened up um, by the emergency workers. And I just remember visiting her in the hospital. I don't remember the state she was in. She was covered in bandages. I know that. I just remember the dessert that the nurse gave me. And it was an English custard pudding. <laughs> it was pretty good. But you know how sometimes we remember things to be good, especially food or even movies for that matter. And then you go back 10 years later and you and you try it or you watch it and then you realize, um, wow, I don't know what was wrong with my taste buds, but it's not that good now. <laughs> so, <laughs> there was a time after this car accident that my mom was in a critical position and she clinically died she um went into a coma and yeah she was clinically dead it wasn't until a doctor saw her small finger move that she wasn't dead anymore my dad told me that my mom is dead and i just remember looking out the window thinking 
um, wow, life is going to be different. And next thing I know, she's not dead. I mean, what a crazy thing. What a crazy whirlwind. She has a heaven story. You know, she went to heaven and there she was told that she wasn't ready to die yet. She had to come back. And when she told me this, she would cry because she was in so much pain that she wanted to die. It would make me sad because I can't imagine not having my mom in my life after age seven. What a huge influence she was on my life in a positive way. Of course, there were tough times and negative times, but I didn't wish for her to die. I definitely don't think I would have ended up in the United States. She was in the hospital for a few months. There was glass that went from the windshield into her head, and she had to have plastic surgery. You know, it was major operations. She had several broken bones. Part of her spine was broken, and she was in a wheelchair. And the doctors told her she would never walk again. She was released from the hospital. My brothers were in boarding school, so they weren't around. And my dad would work. It was his way of coping. I was home. So I grew up very quickly. I was there to take care of my mom. She was addicted to morphine because of the pain. She weaned herself off of it. I was there to wash her, to feed her, to do everything I needed to do. I remember coming home from school and immediately cooking and making sure she was okay. You know, it was a constant worry to go to school and try to act like a child, try to you know, do handstands and, and cartwheels and play with my other friends as if none of this was happening and then come home and be the parent, you know, and see my mom's pain. And she would just be groaning because of the pain. A lot of it I blocked out because it was so traumatic. I mean, how much of that can you really take? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at age seven. So I did, I grew up fast. And that's why at 10 years old, I felt like, yeah, I can make adult decisions like become a vegetarian. <laughs> My mom was strong willed. I can't imagine the kind of pain she had. And I don't want to because I know what pain is. I've had pain. I've had my own accidents and horrible things happen, but this was on another level. And the strong willpower she had to wean herself off of the morphine, she was so stubborn, strong-willed to a point that I don't know how a person can be like that. You know, I'm very strong-willed and stubborn on certain things, except for when it comes to picking pastries in a store or eating them. I'm not strong-willed with that at all. But if I decide something, I do it. You know, if I decide I'm 
I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. and do this exercise three times a week. I'm going to do it, damn it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but then I'll see this delicious, perfect donut and um, all strong will will go out the window. That's my recollection of food, is using it to brighten my day, using it in traumatic experiences to make me feel happy. You know, we all, we all have it in some way, not with sweets or pastries, but there's always something that we can't not want, right? For me, it was definitely sweets. And yeah, I know that's also called um, addiction. <laughs> addiction to sugar. The thing is, because I work in pastry, I don't have to eat it all the time. You know, I'm with it. And in a sense, that's comforting. It's comforting to see customers and guests enjoy what I'm making. I don't have to eat it all myself. So on that level, it's a healthy balance. It's also my way of comforting others. When my mom wouldn't feel well, I would say, oh, try the cinnamon roll or I'll make you a cookie or what about that soup? And she would say, you can't make everything better with food. <laughs> But I disagree. You know, I think, I think you can because of that psychological connection to your childhood, to the time and place you ate this delicious thing. At least I like to think it works and I like to think it works for me and to make others feel better. Also, when other people aren't feeling well, I'm really bad sometimes at saying the right thing. So the one thing I have to offer are my pastries. That's something, right? If I had kids, I'd probably feed them like those Italian grandmothers. So maybe it's a good thing I don't have children. My mom died a year ago, unexpectedly. Here's kind of a morbid, funny story, but my dad was with my mom when she died, and he waited. He waited for a couple minutes, thinking that she would get up again, thinking that maybe she wasn't dead because she kind of played that prank on us before, you know? <laughs> yeah. She did get out of the wheelchair a couple years after her major accident when I was seven. And she did get into natural medicine because she felt that the doctors gave up on her. And she found an osteopath in England who helped her get out of the wheelchair. And again, that was her strong willpower. She knew she was going to get out of this wheelchair. But throughout her life, there was constant pain. She never fully recovered from this car accident. Throughout the years, her pain got progressively worse. But the other day, I had a flashback to before the car accident. She would always wear these beautiful dresses and business-type attire, designer style. And one time I forgot my lunch at school. She came and dropped it off, and I remember the dress she was wearing. It was like this red leather dress. I know that sounds weird, but it was really pretty. <laughs> Whenever you put leather in dress, for some reason that changes everything. But it was flowy, 
and it was just beautiful. I mean, come on. I was like five or six. I think it was leather. I mean, <laughs> I'm completely changing my memory, but I just remember it was red. Let's go with that. She had this presence about her. Everybody would just notice her when she came into the room. She had this big laugh. People talk about my laugh being loud, but hers was like three times louder. And I was always embarrassed. I was always embarrassed by her laugh. Everything she did was loud and noticeable. And because of that, I wanted to hide more and more. I wanted to be less obvious and kind of just be normal, so to speak. But in reality, how silly, how silly is that? You know, she had such a presence about her. Why would I be embarrassed about that? I think as a child, it was just hard for me. Looking back, it makes me feel so bad. You know, <laughs> like, it makes me feel guilty. I was embarrassed that she came in and she stopped the whole class and all these other kids were looking at her in a positive way. Whenever something drew attention to me, I'd be embarrassed and I'd get these crazy red cheeks. I'd always get these red cheeks. And now I put blush on. What happened? What happened to my red cheeks? That was a really nice memory. And I think of that just to see her so happy. Because after the car accident, she tried to make the best of every situation and she would be supportive. For example, in school, when I was in England, we had sports day. Parents would come and do uh, different things to raise money for the school. And my mom would make waffles. They were German waffles. German waffles are different than American waffles. They're a bit more flat and roundish with kind of a nice frilly edge. She would make these huge amounts of waffle batter and cook them on the school grounds. She would make a fruit topping and whipped cream. And she would raise so much money for the school because everyone loved her waffles so much. I loved her waffles so much. I have one of those German waffle makers. And every time I make waffles, which isn't a lot, but I think of that. I think of her making those waffles. Talking so much about England is bringing up some other stories. I was thinking about when I had a French exchange student come visit me in England. And she came from France to have an English experience, which she totally didn't get because we're German. And we spoke German. We didn't speak English. We had a German breakfast, which was like, I don't know, I think soft-boiled egg. Or every time she saw the kind of food we were eating, she would go upstairs and just say, Je suis fatigué, which just means, I'm tired. <laughs> That's all she ever said. And then she couldn't wait to go to school the next day to meet her other French friends. But then when I visited her in France, it was such a great experience. You know, everybody was completely French, and they bought 10 baguettes a day. They had six-course meals. I mean, it was crazy. What a great experience. But I feel bad that she came to our house and didn't feel well at all. Going back to my mom, of course, when you can't fully move 100%, other accidents happen too. She couldn't lift her legs 
properly or high enough when she would walk and she'd trip a lot and through this other accidents would occur and then I was there to help her. I was expected to help her. I'm the girl. I'm the youngest in the family. I have two older brothers. My brothers could really do what they wanted as far as they weren't expected to help me being the woman I guess, like old school thinking, I was expected to come home and help. And I did. Of course, at the time, I was divorced. I didn't have children. So I guess it was an easy decision for my mom to expect me to be there. This was hard for me because I wanted my own life. I wanted to experience my own things. But I had this tremendous guilt, too, you know, that I had to be there to help my mom. Why wouldn't I? She's my mom. You know, if I wasn't there to help her, who would? Every time I did leave, you know, I left twice, once for Palm Springs to work in a hotel and then to Switzerland. That was my own willpower to decide this is my life. I want to choose what I'm doing. Of course, when I did leave, those decisions were not supported by my mom, and I didn't feel right doing them because I wanted her support. Throughout my life, she had always been there. She'd always supported me. And then when she didn't, I felt guilty. I felt lost. I was in this just struggle between my myself. You know, am I a good person? Should I not be there for my family? You know, these guilt feelings. And I think because I've been there, I was there for her so much throughout my life and her life that it was just hard for her when I did leave. I know that when I left, I made the right decisions now. At the time, it was... um the hardest thing, one of the hardest things I had to do. I think the hardest thing is to deal with our own demons, our inner voices, our insecurities. I'm better now than I was growing up and in my 20s. I'm not immune to that. I'm not immune to having insecurities. I do remember... One day after school in England, I had to do my homework. It was on biology. At the same time, I was helping my mom. She was having a bad day, pain-wise. In between of helping her, I did this homework. And in that moment, the homework made complete sense. I fully understood it. And I thought, wow, this is like easy. Why is it so easy? Am I doing something wrong? But I left it. I'm like, okay, I did the homework. I think it like it feels right. I went to school next day. My friends, they all had different answers. Like they all had the same answers, but it was different than mine. And I started to panic. And I thought, oh my God, like I completely did it wrong. Why did it feel right when I did it? Like I don't understand any of it, apparently. So I quickly changed. I changed all my answers. And then the teacher said, okay, switch it between yourselves and grade each other's homework. 
I got it all like wrong. The answers were wrong. The answers my friends wrote were wrong. The answers I had originally were right. I would have gotten a hundred percent. As it was, I got like 60. I felt so defeated. I was just like, why can I not trust myself? Why can I not trust my inner thoughts and my inner voice? You know, if it felt good in that moment, leave it. Just leave it. That was an example for me. You know, I mean, this homework was when I was like 12. I mean, <laughs> but that moment really stuck with me because... I don't know. I just had all these insecurities growing up. I think it didn't help all of a sudden be an adult when I was not even a teenager because of my responsibilities. That was very memorable for me. You know, listen to your gut. Listen to how you're feeling in this situation. And that's how I feel with my jobs, you know, in the kitchen. Like I, I try to listen to how I feel in my gut. You know, does this feel good? Is this right? Is this a good boss? You know, in New York, when I was working at the chocolate store, I would make these chocolate sculptures. Customers would come in and request them. I would sell a chocolate sculpture for $300, $400, $600. It was custom made by me. I would make roses out of chocolate, put them inside this chocolate vase, put these chocolate praline around it, and it was a work of art. But the company didn't know what to do with that. I didn't fit into the mold. They just wanted somebody to talk about the chocolate, to sell it, which I did, but I could also do more. It's like, why have this amazing chocolate kitchen filled with all these tempering machines and these marble counters if you're not going to use it? I used it, but... I didn't fit in because the company didn't accept my work. You know, they weren't looking for that. Every day, even though I was making beautiful sculptures and beautiful work, I didn't feel accepted or good enough because it's not what the company wanted. Then my mom died. I was in New York. That's when I realized, yeah, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to feel this way, to feel unwanted in a place where you're doing really good work, you know, you're taken for granted. That's when I decided to leave New York and move to the West. I love the West Coast. I love the blue skies and, and the vast distances of land that you can see. It's completely different than the East Coast. New York has its great moments, it also has its crazy moments, like anywhere where there's a lot of people. And I appreciated city living because of the theater I would see, the different restaurants. I mean, in New York, you can find anything that your heart desires, any type of cuisine, any type of show, you name it. I really enjoyed it. You know, every time I've lived there, I've enjoyed doing those things and living that life. But ultimately, I missed hiking I missed nature, and that's why I decided to move to Colorado. And it was my mom's passing that really motivated that. That made me realize, who knows how long I have. You know, I hope, I hope long, but 
who's to say? Stupid accidents happen so quickly and they change your life like that. That's why I'm very sensitive to living in the moment. You know, that's what acting teaches you, the Meisner technique. You react in that moment because if you don't act on it, that moment passes you by. And that's what life is. You can make these choices in a split second that completely change your life and you never look back or maybe you do. And then you realize, wow, had I not done that, everything would have been completely different. I think that's important to live by that, to live by how you feel in that moment, your gut feeling. It's hard because society doesn't teach us that. Society says, no, save your money, keep your job, (laughs) you know? And of course I have to make money. Of course I have to make a living. But within that, is it worth it to stay at your job and not be respected, not be appreciated? No, it's not for me. You know, I, like I said, I don't want to be disgruntled. You know, so many people gossip at work and, and it's so easy to find negative things about a job. But at the same time, no job is completely 100% amazing. I mean, with every good comes the bad, right? But how do you feel in that job? Do you feel respected? Do you feel appreciated? Do you feel... Like you can pay your bills and make your money at the same time. You have to weigh out the pros and the cons. That's when I moved away from chocolate into pastry again. And I work at a hotel here in Aspen, Colorado, which I'm enjoying. Of course, there's pros and cons. My work is appreciated. I'm able to be creative. And right now, that's what's important for me. That's what matters. Had my mom died when I was seven, I think I would have been very different. My mom has instilled so many good things in me. I know. Maybe I would be less emotional. Maybe I wouldn't cry so easily when I watch Chef's Table (laughs) or like those sad animal commercials where they want you to donate. I mean, those are the saddest things ever. But I know... I have her strength. Moving so much throughout my life, I've become flexible. You know, people who live in the same town for their whole life, they're very different in mind because they've never moved. And it's almost like because I've moved so much, it's no big deal now. And I guess that's good. I mean, for me, I think that's positive because it makes me flexible. My life and my love of food, they're intertwined. And that's why every time there's heartache or something traumatic that happens, I steer to food to calm me down, not necessarily for eating, but to cook, you know, and to bake. And it's when I see my family and my friends and customers enjoying what I've made, that's when I feel, okay, like this is, this is good. That's what I want to stay in touch with. You know, it's not about the money, although money is important to live and enjoy life and take a vacation, hopefully. <laughs> it's about doing what you love and finding peace within that, you know, trying to make a difference. 
Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed what I've had to say and maybe think about your own life. Think about what you appreciate from your childhood. This was an episode of Cat the Baker, and I'm Chef KB. Until next time. Join me on Instagram at Chef KB and on YouTube at Cat the Baker.